Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and his and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you are going back. Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought that he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake, I am glad that I'm not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Then Thomas also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Mary and Martha to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replies, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. 
When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus hadn't yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha met him. When the Jews, who had been with Mary in the house comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of, some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odour, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had, heard, when he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. This is the word of the Lord. When was the last funeral that you went to? Now, this was a question which my wife, uh, Liz, she unexpectedly received this from one of her students during one of her relief teaching days last year. Not only was it a highly unexpected question, but I'm also told that the question was asked with such an expressionless face, devoid of any emotion or tone, which made it all the more startling. Now, the child who asked this question to Liz, uh, they have some learning difficulties, and because of their learning difficulties, they haven't quite learned the social etiquette uh, that funerals, or more pointedly, death, it's a topic that people kind of tend to avoid wherever possible. But not for us today. So given that we are now on the topic, when was the last funeral that you went to? And what was it like? Think about what it looked like. Was there an assortment of beautiful flowers? Perhaps an ornate, you know, well-crafted coffin? Think about what was said. 
was the word death avoided, instead replaced with euphemisms such as they've passed away or they're no longer with us? Was there some platitudes such as, well, I know they're looking down on us now or they'll always be with us in our hearts and in our memories? Well, we live in an age and a culture that does its best to deny the reality of death. Even at funerals where you know, the reality of death cannot be ignored, every effort is made to cover it up, cover up the harshness, the grimness of death, and make it as pleasant and palatable as possible. But perhaps, if the last funeral that you went to was for a Christian person, there would have been grief and sorrow, that is appropriate. But also there was likely joy celebration, a sure, reassuring comfort that extended further and consoled deeper uh, than any, further than any platitude can. And this section which we have just read from John chapter 11, it shows us why the Christian person does not have to deny the reality of death, but instead can face it head on with joy and with comfort. And why is that? In John chapter 11, verse 25 and 26, we read, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Well, let me pray. Lord, we praise you as the one who gives life and the one who is life. Please speak to us powerfully today by, from your word, by your spirit, that we all might respond as Martha did. Yes, Lord, I believe. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. And as we begin to look at this uh, passage from John chapter 11 in closer detail, it will help us to place this section uh, from chapter 11 within the wider context of the book of John. So last week, it was the second week of our series looking at the I Am statements uh, from John's Gospel. And Colin, our senior pastor, he led us through John chapter 10, where Jesus proclaims, I am the Good Shepherd. And similar to the other occasions from the Gospel of John, where Jesus makes an I Am proclamation, the I Am the Good Shepherd proclamation, it receives a mixed message, a mixed uh, response rather. Those who are the sheep under the care of the Good Shepherd, will they hear his voice and they receive it with gladness? Yet when Jesus says in John chapter 10 verse 30 that I and the Father are one, some are offended to the point where they are ready to stone Jesus to death. And so Jesus and the disciples, they leave Jerusalem, they leave the region of Judea, And they returned to an area on the Jordan River where John the Baptist had been baptizing. And so it's at this point that we arrive at today's reading from John chapter 11. And so as we step through John chapter 11 today, I'm going to focus on three main points. First, the purpose. Second, the statement. And third, the question. 
the purpose, the statement, and the question. So first, the purpose. The narrative, it was a long reading and has a long introduction that provides us with plenty of interesting details. First, we're told that there's a man named Lazarus who was sick. Further detail is added. Lazarus has two sisters, Martha and Mary. And despite this being their first mention in the entire book, it quickly becomes apparent that this whole family, Lazarus, Martha and Mary, they all have a special place in Jesus' heart. Then there's a problematic twist. The family, they live in Bethany, which is only a couple of kilometres from Jerusalem, the danger zone where Jesus' opponents were seeking to stone him the last time that he was there. And among all these details, there is one that I want to draw our attention to. So look with me at verse 4. Upon receiving the news that Lazarus is ill, Jesus says, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now this is a very similar response to that which Jesus gave earlier in John chapter 9 and verse 3, when his disciples asked him for the reason why a certain man was born blind. And on that occasion, Jesus says, this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. And so this earlier response, it helps us better understand Jesus' response here, that Lazarus' illness has occurred so that the Son of God might be glorified through it. In both responses, and throughout the whole book of John, well, John, he talks about God's glory. And when he does so, it's rather than speaking about the praise that God is rightly due, John, he's more commonly speaking about God's revelation, his self-disclosure. This is because God is glorified when we see him as he really is. When we understand both his works and his identity as these two go hand in hand together. And the big point that John is repeatedly making, which coincidentally is the big point that Jesus is repeatedly making, is that God the Father is revealing himself through Jesus. And Jesus is revealing himself through his works, through the miracles which he is performing, which John repeatedly calls signs. Jesus is revealing himself as God the Son, as the one who is the resurrection and the life. And in this way, through his self-revelation, his self-disclosure, God the Son is glorified. And this is the primary purpose of this story that we have just read, both for those who were there at that time and also for us now. The purpose of the entire narrative, it's built up to tell us something about Jesus, not to tell us something about Lazarus. But the story of the death and resurrection of Lazarus, it's actually a vehicle to take us elsewhere, to reveal to us the identity of the Son of God and to demonstrate his authority over death. To show us that the harshness, 
the grimness, the power of death, well, it pales in comparison to him who is the resurrection and the life. Now, to illustrate this point, consider this for a moment. Notice how Jesus first speaks about death, the death of Lazarus. In verse 10, he says to his disciples, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. Now, the disciples, understandably, they take this on face value. So they think that Lazarus is simply resting, and this rest will aid in his recovery from his illness. But Jesus then has to clarify that he's speaking metaphorically when he says that Lazarus had fallen asleep. And he states plainly, Lazarus is in fact dead. But is it not incredible that Jesus can speak about death as nonchalantly as if it were a mere slumber, a nap from which the person can easily be awakened? Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up, he says. Now, as part of our summer holidays, we've spent some time with our Liz's sister and brother-in-law and uh, our little 10-month-old niece. And as cute as our little niece is, getting her to sleep is at the best delicate and at the worst maddeningly frustrating. So, once she is asleep, great efforts are taken to ensure that she remains that way. Voices are lowered, movements around the house are calculated, because it really doesn't take too much time or effort to awaken her from her sleep, and the whole sequence of events must start again. And it's amazing to think that Jesus can speak about the incredibly difficult task of raising someone from the dead He speaks about it as simply as waking someone from their sleep, something that we know can be accomplished even unintentionally. Yet Jesus can talk about death in such a way. Such is the power of him who, as the resurrection and the life, has all authority over death. And so in this way, we see the purpose of, of Lazarus' illness and his death, for Jesus to further reveal himself as God the Son, as the one who is the complete opposite of death. He is the resurrection and the life. Having referred to that title several times now, probably be helpful to spend a couple of moments unpacking it further. Which brings me to the second point, the statement. So let's look at that I am statement once again from verse 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? As I said, as part of our summer series, we've been going through the I am statements in, the, in John's gospel. So this one is the fifth I am statement of the seven that are found throughout the book. And so these seven I am statements, they're emphatic descriptions of the person and the ministry of who Jesus is. And collectively, they form a detailed picture 
of, his, of who he is, his identity. And so then this particular I am statement, it comes in the context of a conversation between Jesus and Martha, who's uh, following the death of her brother Lazarus. And similar to the earlier sleeping slash death metaphor used with the disciples, there's a misunderstanding that needs clarification. Jesus arrives in Bethany with uh, Martha and her sister Mary. They're in the family home and they're mourning the loss of their brother. And the sisters, they're being consoled and comforted by the Jews, which is a bit of an odd turnabout uh, for the group of people who are usually described as the antagonists in John's Gospel. Uh, But interestingly, Jesus does not enter the sister's house to take part in the mourning process. After all, he knows Lazarus is only sleeping. And so it is Martha who goes out of the home to meet Jesus. And at first, she expresses a confidence that had Jesus been here in Bethany prior to Lazarus' death, things would have turned out differently. Yet still, even in her grief following the loss of her brother, Martha has not lost her confidence in Jesus. She recognises the intimacy that he enjoys with the Father. And Jesus' response, in his typical kind of way, he replies succinctly, your brother will rise again. And like the disciples did earlier, well, Martha takes this on face value. She believes that Jesus is offering her a future comfort, that although Lazarus is gone now, he will rise again as part of the resurrection on the last day. And so it's in this context that Jesus again provides a clarification. And the clarification, the occurrence of the I am statement, it's significant. Jesus does not say that he will provide resurrection and life in that future, but that he is resurrection. He is life right here and right now. There's a present element to what he's saying. And in the context, we understand that Jesus, he's speaking, when he says, I am the life, he's speaking about life without the limitation of death. That is eternal life. The two clauses that accompany that I am statement, they make this clear. So the second half of verse 26 says, The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. So those who believe in this life, even though they may someday die, Jesus, uh, the resurrection, he promises that they will be raised again to eternal life. And the first part of verse 26, whoever lives by believing in me will never die. So it's helpful to look at something that Jesus said earlier in the book of John to better understand this. So in John chapter 5, verse 24, there Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Whoever believes has eternal life, so that they have already crossed over from death to life. 
And because they have already crossed over from death to life, Jesus can say that for all intents and purposes, whoever believes in him will never die. And so in summary, in this I am statement, like all the other I am statements in John's Gospel, we see that Jesus' ministry, his works, and his person, his identity, they're inseparably linked together. Jesus does not just provide resurrection and life through his ministry. No, rather, he is resurrection and he is life. So that there is neither resurrection nor life outside of him. And Jesus, he's provided this explanation of his ministry and of his identity, which he then, he goes on to prove it, the sign of Lazarus' resurrection from the dead. Yet we know that that sign was only a foretaste of what was to come, of what Jesus will go on to accomplish for all humanity. He who is life lays down his own life so that those who believe may have eternal life. And he who is the resurrection, he picks his life back up again to reign eternally both as Lord and Saviour. So now as we've been looking at this, this second point, the statement, and unpacking what it means that Jesus is the resurrection and the life, now those two words have been repeated a lot. But there is a third word that has often been repeated. See if you can pick it up. I'll read verses 25, 26 again. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Any ideas what this third word is? It's believe. Belief. Which brings me to my third point, the question. The question, do you believe this? It immediately follows Jesus' I am statement. For just as Jesus' works and his identity are inseparably linked together, so too are belief in Jesus and eternal life inseparably linked together. The exclusive claim of Christianity is that eternal life can only be found through belief in Jesus. Yet the exclusive claim is inclusive. It all depends on how each individual responds. The answer we each give to that question. Do you believe this? Martha was asked this question directly in verse 26. Yet this question, it permeates the whole narrative. Before they even reach Bethany, back in verse 15, Jesus states that he is glad he was not present for Lazarus' death. Why? So that when he goes to Lazarus and he raises him from the dead, the disciples might believe. And again, just before calling Lazarus out from the grave... In verse 42, Jesus looks up and he thanks the Father that he hears his prayer. 
And he says that he does this not for his own benefit, but for the benefit of those standing around him. So they may hear and that they may believe that he has been sent by God to earth. Belief in Jesus, in the one who is the resurrection and the life, was the desired response for those who witnessed this miraculous resurrection of Lazarus. And for us now, 2,000 years removed from this most spectacular of Jesus' signs, the desired response is still the same. The same question, it still applies to us today. Do you believe this? Like Martha, we too must respond to the question of, do you believe this with, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. Now, if you can respond in this way, then rejoice in the promise that you have crossed over from death into life. Death no longer holds its power over you. What joyous news that is. This, however, does not mean that we should not feel the emotion and mourn and grieve over the tragedy of death. Both Martha and Mary, they're mourning and grieving the death of their brother when they encounter Jesus. And he rebukes neither of them. Rather, he's deeply moved within himself to the point of tears. Jesus, he's grieved and he's angered by death. After all, sin and death, they're the enemy that he has come to defeat. And so we are right when we describe death as terrible, as painful, as horrible. It is those things. And acknowledging them as such and feeling those emotions, it in no way compromises the quality of our faith. Rather than denying the reality of death, like our culture attempts to do, acknowledging the reality of death, well, it actually helps us see just how wonderful the contrast is. The life which Jesus is and the life which Jesus brings. And so one final time, I'll ask you to consider your answer to this question. Do you believe this?